Section 4 of Weird Tales Presents the Strange World of Harry Houdini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Ask Houdini. Weird Tales Magazine, April 1924. This department is open to all readers of Weird Tales who have some questions to propound. Houdini will attempt to answer any logical question on subjects relating to physical or psychic phenomena. Readers are requested not to duplicate questions that have already been answered by Houdini in these columns. Footnote. Hundreds of letters have been received by Houdini since the announcement of this department in the March issue. Time does not permit taking up as many of these as desired on account of the rush to get the April issue on sale in time. This department bids fair to become an interesting feature of Weird Tales, and the publishers assure you that sufficient space will be allotted it to cover all worthwhile subjects. Questions pertaining to the future and personalities will receive no attention. They must have a general interest, otherwise they will not be considered. All correspondence will be handled by Houdini personally, and he is especially interested in hearing from those having unique experiences not easily explained. The Publishers Forward. Ingrained in me is a love of mystery and marvel. As a child, Red Riding Hood, Alibaba, and the Arabian Nights found as much favor with me as the stories from the Bible. All were read to me by my mother. Stories of the weird and wonderful exercise a surpassing charm over my imagination. I feel there are many thousands like me, and from these I will be delighted to hear. Who knows but that this department may be the means of bringing to light another Poe or another Hawthorne. Only by writing can you learn to write. By throwing off restraint, the greatest pieces of literature have been produced. This department is yours as much as mine. Houdini. Number 1. Terre Haute, Indiana. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear Sir, Years ago there traveled around the country a man named Samri S. Baldwin, known as the White Mahatma. Could you tell me if he is still living, and if so, where a letter could reach him? Were there any other white Mahatmas that did the same kind of work? Yours very truly, H.L. Answer to number one. There were a number of white Mahatmas, all imitating Samri S. Baldwin, who is still alive and now resides in San Francisco, California. A letter addressed to the Golden Gate Assembly of the Society of American Magicians, care of Tiffin Studio, will reach him. Detroit, Michigan. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear sir, I've just finished reading your expose of spiritualism in the March issue of Weird Tales, and can assure you that I am very anxious to read the next installment. I was born in a section of England where it is the custom for those who wish to sink a well to employ the services of a dowser. A dowser is a person who travels around with a forked twig, jamming it in the ground, and when this twig moves, turning suddenly in his hand, he states that water will be found below. Experience shows that in this practice he is usually though not invariably correct. Now these dowsers are not as a rule scientific or learned men, nor have they any special local knowledge. Very often indeed they are merely laborers. Sometimes this man dispenses with the use of the dowser being able to tell by his own sensation that he is over water. So common is this custom in this part of England I refer to, and so great is the belief in these dowsers that few people indeed would think of sinking a well without the aid of one of these men. Many explanations have been offered of this practice, and I am anxious to hear your opinion regarding the same. It is very true that in sticking this twig in the ground, it will move at times, just as if it were alive, in this particular section of the country where I come from. But a large percentage of people are great believers in spiritualism, 
and people who have faith in this sort of phenomenon insist that it is a spirit manifestation. Thanking you for any attention you may give this. Yours very truly, J.H. Answer to number two. This is not new. In fact, it is centuries old, and you will find any number of books in your library regarding same. The fact remains that these dowsers or water diviners were not always accurate, and in view of this infallibility, it is unwise to believe that they were capable of locating water or metals. The Psychical Research Society have gone thoroughly into this case of humans, and I would advise you to look up their literature on this subject. Peoria, Illinois. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales. Chicago, Illinois. Dear sir, some time ago I attended a seance in this town at which quite a few people were present and the manifestations were really wonderful. I went there purporting to be an ardent believer in spiritualism and was well received and was made the object of quite a little attention by the medium. Now, as a matter of fact, I am an out-and-out skeptic, but confess I do not know how to explain some of the phenomena I have witnessed. During one of the sittings or seances, the medium sat directly in front of me, held both of my hands in her right hand and placed her other hand on my shoulder. Then I could see by glancing upward a trumpet moving around the room, then a guitar and then a mandolin. This instrument would float over the heads of the sitters, and I have never been able to discern how this was accomplished. Can you explain? Yours very truly, H.W. Answer to number three. There are several ways of the medium getting one hand free when you are supposed to hold both. It is one of the best-known ruses used by fraud mediums. In order to guard yourself in the future, when you go into a seance room, insist on holding the medium's hand in your own. You do the holding, and do not allow the medium to hold you. See that there is no confederate to produce the manifestations, which is frequently done. Springfield, Illinois. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear sir, you are answering all questions on spiritualism. Do you consider yourself a human encyclopedia on the subject? I know you will not dare to answer this. How do you explain Jacoby, who in his autobiography said he saw a number of musicians in his room and they played until early morning? Jacoby was a brilliant man and a gifted scholar. How can you, at the present time, explain how this happened? I do not think you would care to answer this question, but am sending it to relieve my mind. Yours truly, H.W. Answer to number four. No, I do not consider myself a human encyclopedia, but I have been delving in mystery ever since I could walk and talk. And if there is anything in the line of mystery I do not know, I certainly am going to try and find out. Anytime you see me build anywhere, drop around and have a chat. I am not prejudiced, as I keep telling people. I am perfectly willing to believe, but I have not been convinced or converted as yet. Jacoby did write that he saw and heard musicians in his room. He called in his servants, if you remember the incident, but they were unable to see them. After I am suspended from the top of a building by my ankles and make my escape from the restraint and come down to earth, the whole population in the houses whirl about me, but that does not signify it is true. Therefore I claim that he might have thought he had seen the musicians and heard them, but that does not necessarily make it true, although in his own mind it was true. You go to any insane asylum where you are permitted to go by the authorities, and you will find a lot of poor mortals who hear voices and see forms. I think that Jacoby simply had hallucinations at the time this happened, and that is all there is to it. Number 5. Louisville, Kentucky. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear Mr. Houdini, I'm glad to see that you are writing for Weird Tales as it is my favorite magazine, and I am sure many other readers will bear this same opinion. 
In this city, which is a hotbed for spiritualism, you are confronted by believers and non-believers at every turn. I have attended many seances and probably never get a kick out of any, on account of my pronounced views against this sort of stuff. I have been told because of the fact that I am a non-believer, I will never be visited by any real manifestation. The only thing I could never understand is why do all mediums employ various paraphernalia in conducting their seances? For instance, why is it necessary for the departed one to speak through the medium with the aid of a trumpet or horn? If there is such a thing as communication with the dead, can you advance a logical explanation of why a trumpet or horn should be used? Yours very truly, H.M. Answer to number five. The aid of trumpets, tambourines, and musical instruments used in seances, to the best of my knowledge and belief, is simply to give oracular proof that the spirits are present. And in speaking through a trumpet, it is the simplest thing in the world to muffle your voice and make it difficult to recognize. At one seance which I attended in New York, I distinctly detected the odor of the departed spirit, the medium having indulged in the brand of spirits which are prohibited. I have known mediums who could talk through trumpets almost any time or place, depending upon how they were seated at the seance. I did one seance with Mrs. Reith, the celebrated Detroit trumpet medium. Dr. Wallace, being friendly with both of us, made an appointment, not telling her my name. This was in London. It was very difficult to get a seance, and when I did, I went in unannounced, but after an hour, the seance was blank. As I left, she merely said, I'm sorry, Mr. Houdini, that we could get no results. I was startled. She said, You did not think I knew you, but we traveled together on the Mauritania. So, you see, had Mrs. Wraith not recognized me, we might have had results. She evidently was afraid of taking a chance with me. Number 6, Buffalo, New York. Mr. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear Mr. Houdini, I attended a spiritualistic seance recently, presided over by a lady medium. There were some fifty-odd people in the audience. Slips of paper were passed around with a request that each one write on the slip of paper and ask a question that he desired to be answered. We were requested to fold the paper with the writing inside. The questions were collected and placed on a table, the medium paying no attention to them whatsoever. The medium then invited someone to blindfold her. As I was sitting in the front row, I volunteered. She requested a kid glove from some lady in the audience, and receiving this, placed it over her eyes while I tied it securely over her eyes with her handkerchief. I am positive of her inability to see. All were requested to speak right out and identify their message when read. She said that she would make no attempt to answer the questions asked or read them, but that she would give them the impressions which she would receive from them. Then she took a seat at the table at the side opposite the audience, facing the audience with the table between her and the sitters. She opened several of the questions, smoothed them out, and laid them on the table. Then she took one of them and pressed it to her bandaged forehead and began. It was remarkable the effect she created with those present. Women cried aloud at the questions and answers the medium gave out. Finally, she came to my question and said, I get the influence of a young man. His name is Henry. I get the vibration of a young man who has suffered continual illness. Then the medium addressing me asked, Is that correct? I replied that it was. Then she stated that Henry was well and happy and not to worry about him, as he was beyond all physical suffering. Now, Mr. Houdini, I am convinced that this medium was a fraud. I have attended a number of seances with poor results and have little faith in them. But this medium puzzled me a lot. The question I asked on the slip of paper was, H, have you any relief from your suffering? My handwriting was purposefully bad, and I wrote the proper noun in such a manner that it would be hard to distinguish whether the word was Harry or Henry. I did this to discover if the medium actually read the questions or not. I am convinced that she did, but how? Perhaps you can offer an explanation. K.H. Answer to number six. 
The method used by this medium is very simple and is not new. It has been greatly improved upon recently. If I am not mistaken, it was first used in the early 70s. When you tied the handkerchief with the gloves over her eyes, she simply frowned as much as possible. Then by raising the eyebrows, she was enabled to see enough to suit her purpose. You understand I am not exposing a legitimate performer's efforts. When a medium resorts to trickery, I feel that the deception should be explained to prevent their playing upon the gullibility of the public as much as possible. Number 7. Evanston, Illinois. Houdini, courtesy of Weird Tales, Chicago, Illinois. Dear Sir, when modern science dawned, the world was dark with superstition. Fantastic notions fettered the human intellect. Witches, with their bony hands, wove a spell of death and ruin. Sorcerers, with their magic signs and incantations, cast enchantments over the reason of men. Astrology, with its tradition and dogmas, held the common mind in thrall. Against these ideas, the learned voiced a vigorous opposition. The belief in the transmutability of one element into another was opposed to its fundamental conceptions. The transmission of thought through leagues of barren space was cried upon as impossible. The casting of spells was sneered at as unworthy of discussion. The notion of a world of reality interpenetrating the natural world, yet defying the grasp of the natural senses, was brushed aside as a poetic fancy. The idea of physical matter being rendered invisible at will was laughed away. It is noticeable, however, during the past century, although the philosophers have remained steadfast in their attitude of resistance to the claims of the mystics, that the march of discovery has been tending more and more to the occult. Scholars of the old school have given more attention to beliefs that they once sneered at. Surgery and medicine today attest to the favorable results obtained by the use of hypnotism. There is a marked difference between the early and present attitude of science toward the phenomena of telepathy. There was no law known to physics which would lend probability to the claim of telepathists. The advent of wireless and radiophone, pulsing their messages through vacancy, have aroused thinking people to the possibility of psychic phenomena. Those advanced in science tend to pave the way for those eager to pursue the doctrines of spiritualism, and the trend is not against, but towards spiritualism, despite the efforts of a dominant resistant force and such men as you. It is interesting to learn what you have to say against the ability of those persons commonly said to possess mediumistic powers. I do not deny that the spiritualistic movement is attended by some who practice fraud, but, Houdini, do you know of any movement of scientific research or otherwise in which quackery does not at some time or other make its advent? Is it possible that your mind may be influenced against spiritualism by reason of the fact that in your efforts to entertain or instruct the people before whom you appear, you may find it necessary to be somewhat studied, or, in other words, unreal. I do not mean to say that you are not a practical man, for I believe you are, but I am inclined to think that your life as an entertainer does not lend itself to the proper mental condition to take up the subject of spiritualism in the frame of mind that you really should have to become an honest investigator. I am sure you are seeking for the truth in this great subject, and I am indeed sorry to see you take the decided stand you have against such learned and sincere men as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sir Oliver Lodge, and others. It is possible that you may be doing your fellow man great service, but I really feel that in your capacity as a public man, and a man who enjoys the following you do, that you may be committing a grievous error. I trust that in the conducting of this department you will leave it open to both sides of the controversy, if such you may call it. 
In closing, I wish to say I am pleased to see your appearance in Weird Tales, for I am sure you will be adding quite a little to this publication, which is blazing the trail of a literature loved by men since childhood. Yours very truly, S.T. Answer to number seven. I have carefully digested your letter, and it might interest you to know that for the past thirty years I have been a mystifier not only of the public but of magicians. In fact, the work I do appears so easy to duplicate that up-to-date four human beings have lost their lives imitating some of my hazardous stunts, and the reason they apparently seem so easy is because I have been at this so long that it seems to be second nature to me, or possibly a sixth sense. In this way... I have the advantage of everyone attending a seance, as I know how things must be done or must start to be accomplished successfully. I admit that the mediums claim that some seances must be genuine in order to have imitators. I am willing to grant that, but I simply make the statement that I have never attended a seance which was genuine in my thirty years of investigation, and I believe I have attended the seances of the best-known mediums of our times. Some mediums object to magicians as investigators, but 1,000 magicians could not stop the advance of the radio or telephone, irrespective of who or how many would be present. Therefore, I believe that medium's objections to real investigators is entirely out of place. If at any time you feel that you have something of interest to me in the way of actual proof of psychic phenomena, I promise you that I will make an honest effort to witness same. The very fact that I am constantly before the public eye should give me some opportunity to study the public. Knowing something of the gullibility of the public... From a performer's standpoint, I feel I am doing a service in rendering my honest opinion to as many as possible. End of section 4